have a problem every year around MLK Day because Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. for some reason has been treated as America's civil rights mascot. On this day, you'll have folks who would have never in their life marched with, agreed with, voted with anything he believed in. One of the biggest bigots in the United States Congress, he had the audacity to send out a Dr. King quote. The march has begun every day. We rise like the sun. We fight till the battle is won. Can you hear the footsteps? Listen, cause we're coming like a gang on the street. So you better start running. It's time for some action now. Historical progression. Generations march in. See, I love that song. And we're here on another level. My name is Sharon Hinton. I'm your host. As you know, okay, that's right across my face. I don't need that. Thank you. Um, <laughs> as you know, we're here live on Comcast 23 in Studio A with my fantastic crew. We've got three people on our crew. We've got amazing Ashley Lewis, and we've got the amazing Leroy McLaren, and we've got the, you know what? Coffee. That's what her name is. Katie Coffee. See that? You've got to know your crew. The dream team makes the dream work. And also, as always, I have an amazing guest here. <sighs> He's a doctor. But you know what? I have a feeling that he was a doctor in the womb. You know what I'm saying? This, this brother is fantastic. He's Dr. Abdi Ali with the Boston Public Schools. And for those of you who don't remember or you're not old enough to have been here long enough or you've forgotten, April 4th, 1968, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King was assassinated in the Lorraine Motel. Today, today. You see, all of this stuff that you have today that you take for granted, people died for that. The fact that you can vote, people died for that. The fact that you can get on the bus anywhere that you want to, people died for that. The fact that I'm in this studio, a black woman, unapologetically black, with a black girl's rock t-shirt, black all day, people died for that right to be able to say that because we went through all sorts of evolutions from Africans to the N-word, to the colored people, to the Negroes, to the African, Afro-Americans, Afro-Americans, the black. And we're still evolving tonight. We'll be evolving for the next 55 minutes with Dr. Abdi Ali here on another level. Get a pen and pencil. We've got some information for you that's here to lift up the nation. We'll be right back. What's more dangerous, a man who isn't afraid of death or one who's found everything to live for? I asked him if he was proud of me. He emphatically said yes as he laid his pecan-colored head on my chest and I went through my mind a thousand times to figure out what that could possibly mean and every single example ended in motivation for me. So you may not be afraid to die, but I'm more afraid to let them down. And I found something to live for, which is a dangerous motive forever fueled. See, your thoughts may be involuntary, but my actions are very calculated. I was a man with a plan, but now I'm a dad with a decree, and you can't take that from me. My sons ain't raised by no coward, and they won't be one either. If this be the measure of a man, the yardstick gonna need way more meters. I take it too far, so they never come up short, because I found everything to live for. Hi, and we're back here on Another Level. I'm your host, Sharon Hinton, also the producer of On Another Level. We've been doing this for a while, looking for other producers, community people. It's not a mystery, and it's not as magical 
as you think it is. You can actually come here and take workshops and you too can be a producer of your own show. Um, I'll have another show coming up that's called Black Teachers Matter because Black Teachers Moving and I'm the founder and executive director of Black Teachers Matter. That's another program. This program will also be available on radio and on podcast. Look at what we're doing up in here. But before we get to that, I have to, have to, have to introduce you to Dr. Abdi Ali. He's got this amazingly long title. He's a senior director of an amazing program that is bringing more teachers of color. You know, I care about the black teachers, right? I'm just saying, black teachers matter. But teachers of color into the Boston public school system, just so that you know, there have already been 10 resignations of principals this year, and there's an anticipated 30 that will be resigning next year. And there are, as hard as it is to get black teachers and brown teachers and bilingual teachers into the system, it's even harder to keep them sometimes. And that's another whole conversation. But before we go any further, let me introduce you to Dr. Abdi Ali, and you can say that long title that you have, Dr. Ali. Thank you, uh, <laughs> Sister Hinton, it's great to be here. To great to be here on another level. It's truly a privilege and I look forward to Thank this you. conversation that we're gonna be having. Um, I'm the uh, Senior Director of uh, BPS Teacher Pipeline Programs, which is uh, in the Office of Recruitment, Cultivation and Diversity in the Division of Equity Strategy and Opportunity Gaps. In Boston Public Schools. In Boston Public Schools, <laughs> yes. So I met you because you and I are doing the work on the ground. And you and mm. I connected and started talking, and it just has grown and grown and grown to you giving me the wonderful honor of pro providing the commencement speak speech for a group of graduating teachers who are now in the system. Mm -hmm. And then you and I also connected because you're one of the panelists on what's going on with black teachers, mm -hmm. the action plan. And so there's a lot of things that we see when I told you about having your pen and pencil, this, this is where this comes up. This weekend, there is a demo day. Mm -hmm. And then there's also a recruitment process that's going on that ends June 1st. That's correct. And then there's also an initiative that's going on to get people to refer teachers into the system. And then there's a little bit of money that y'all have, which I think should have been way more money. <laughs> See, I talked to people that he works with too. Um, and so there's all of these moving parts in the middle of a superintendent changing, elected versus appointed school committee, um, referendum going on that was voted on by 99,000 Boston residents. Thank you. And uh, Division, uh, Department of Elementary and Secondary Education. I was going to use DESI, but a lot of y'all don't know about DESI. DESI. Basically, three days before the COVID lockdown in March in 2020, the Superintendent Caselius and Commissioner Riley signed a memorandum of understanding, an MOU, saying that if Boston Public Schools doesn't get certain five major categories together, that the state was gonna take over Boston Public Schools and put it in receivership. Put that in the back burner for a second because I'll give you some more information about that. There's a hearing tomorrow at City Council about that. But we wanna talk about this effort to recruit black teachers, Dr. Ali. So uh, I'll lay it out uh, in, in the Office of Recruitment, Cultivation and Diversity. Um, we see the systemic uh, racism as a central problem that we're trying to solve. And we're trying to sort of innovate around key points in the teacher preparation process and also induction process so that these barriers that have been uh, that have kept educators of color out of professional uh, careers in Boston 
uh, removed. And that's been the mission and the mandate of the Recruitment, Cultivation, and Diversity Office. Uh, we think of uh, our goal as trying to really, really counteract uh, the impacts of racism and structural uh, inequities because we know that when we have educators of color, black and brown educators of color, our students do better. Mm. Our students' uh, projections post high school are stronger, their academic outcomes are stronger, their attendance uh, is better. So we know that investing in educators of color and really preparing high quality educators of color is um, one of the key things that um, we, that'll impact families and students in Boston. Let's put up one of the slates while you're talking because okay. I want people to actually, some people, you know, people learn differently. And so um, there's a slate that has the statistics as you talk about how many there are, I'm, I'm trying to think about, in the BTU, Boston Teachers Union, there's about 10,000 teachers. How many of those teachers are teachers of color? So when we look at the Boston uh, demographics, we're looking at, um, Black educators make about 33%. Mm -hmm. uh, Latinx educators make about 40, 43%. And Asian educators make 9% of the uh, teacher, teacher and counselor uh, population. And what are these statistics we're looking at now? Can you put that back um, up, please? Those, uh, I, uh, those statistics are actually the outcomes that we've achieved in one year. Mm -hmm. They represent the very graduation class, the graduating class that you spoke to. That's the data on this particular class, and I can talk a little bit about that. Mm -hmm. uh, there's an inverse relationship between the student population mm -hmm. and, um, and the teacher of color population. Uh, so actually, I gave you the students of color uh, data, which is 33, 42, and 9. Um, and then the teacher of color uh, population, black educators hover somewhere around 21%, uh, Hispanic, Latinx, uh, uh, teachers hover around, and counselors hover around 11%, and uh, Asian uh, educators are about 6%. So there's a kind of an uh, inverse relationship in terms of the uh, student of, of color population in relation to the um, uh, educators of color population. Now let's talk about the history of this. 1974, Judge Arthur Garrity mandated that Boston Public Schools, as a result of a lawsuit, Boston Public Schools had to increase um, the number of African-American, it specifically says African-American, teaches 24%. Boston Public Schools has never reached that. That mandate is still there. 1974, do the math. This is 2022. You're trying to reach that. Um, what are the difficulties in trying to recruit teachers? I mean, there are teaching colleges are people of color just not going into that profession because there's some kind of stereotype or, I mean, what seems to be the problem? So in, in our work, uh, we talk, and within our own office, uh, RCD, uh, what we talk about is that we don't really have a recruitment challenge. Mm -hmm. We have a teacher quality, teacher retention challenge. Mm -hmm. And the cultivation, uh, when you talk about higher ed programs and why they're not producing enough educators of color, they're, they're, these are historically white institutions that have been disenfranchising and um, preparing candidates that are predominantly uh, white candidates. Um, and so what we have done is provide an alternative community-based, district-based teacher preparation program. But what happened though, let's talk about okay. this because 
back in the day, and I'm old enough to remember, <laughs> back in the day, a teacher was a highly, uh, there were, first off, there weren't that many positions we could get into that had that level of respect and that kind of impact. And teacher was one of them. Right. Being a teacher, um, you had the respect of the community, you had the respect of the family, you had upper mobility, you had professional advancement. What happened? Now, I know what happened, but I want you to talk about what happened so, so our audience knows like, what actually happened to black teachers. 1954, Brown versus Board of Education, systematically, black schools were closed. Mm -hmm. uh, black teachers were told they weren't qualified enough to teach white students. Mm -hmm. And then the black schools, even though we uh, graduated more doctors, lawyers, engineers, teachers, all of that, right. were told they weren't qualified to teach. And so black schools were closed. Black educators were pushed out, um, and the panel that you had, uh, what happened, what's happening, what's going on with Black Teachers Part 2, Sister Rosita Chitandra from Chicago talked about 12,000 black teachers. Now, we're not talking about back in the day. 12,000 black teachers were pushed out of the Chicago public school system, and they just initiated class action lawsuit, those teachers in Chicago. So it's, it's ongoing. Mm -hmm. Then we talk about um, Hurricane Katrina. Uh, that whole system was the first totally chartered public school system in the country, and it still remains that. They pushed out thousands of black teachers. Um, Boston, you have black teachers that have never, I don't really, I don't remember them recently within the tw past 10 years or so, 20 years, really coming in in the numbers that we had during the 50s, the 60s, even the 70s, where that was the position that you wanted. You had a high position in the neighborhood, you know, in the community, in the neighborhood, professionally, and then now, the, you said retention. Boston is the first public school system. Boston had the first school committee, elected school committee. Mm -hmm. Boston had the first police department, what, mm -hmm. former slave catchers police department. Why isn't Boston leading the rest of the country? Or is Boston leading the rest of the country? So uh, when we look at the data in, in relation to Boston's uh, uh, demographics of, of educators in comparison to the rest of the state. Actually, Boston employs something like 47% of the black teachers work in the Boston public schools. Uh -huh. um, but, the, um, but when you look at the state level, only it goes down to about 3% when you, look, when you com compare across uh, the state of Massachusetts. So Boston does a very good job uh, in comparison to other school districts in Massachusetts of employing a high percentage of educators of color. And, um, and there's a greater concentration of educators of color in Boston. Boston pays very well. Uh, Can you tell what the starting pay is? Uh, We're just trying, uh, to, trying yeah. to recruit y'all. Yes. Because no so, other job do you get two months off vacation. I'm just saying. I don't know any other job. I was a, I'm a teacher. Yeah. And no other job do you get Two months off vacation. Yeah. Okay. And that slide that you were showing, mm -hmm. we actually uh, did an analysis mm -hmm. of the 14 teachers that we brought in last year from pre-service, which is the teacher preparation program that allows for MTEL licensure and uh, something that I'd like to sort of address in your earlier question, um, and also a clinical practice. Mm -hmm. uh, from um, that 12-month experience, we moved them into the classroom as of last uh, June and uh, between June and September, what we've noted is that our candidates, those 14 candidates that we have right now teaching in Boston, increased their income levels on the high end up to 66%, mm -hmm. 
which is huge. In 12 months, imagine your income going up to 66% and on the lower end up to uh, 25%. Um, so in terms of a starting salary for um, a beginning teacher with a bachelor's, just a bachelor's and no prior teaching experience and so on, uh, it's around $56,000 okay, with stop benefits. Right there. Wait, wait, wait. With stop right benefits. there. Stop right there. Yeah. $56,000 with a bachelor's degree. 56, 58. Do you have to already have your license? So in, to be hired in Boston, you need to have, um, and the pandemic created some interesting scenarios for us because there were a number of candidates who were able to be hired on emergency license. But the district to be employed in Boston, you need to have your provisional license and you need to be SCI endorsed, Sheltered English Immersion uh, Endorsement. And we provide all of the provisional licensing, including the SCI endorsement work. So once you uh, are admitted into our program, mm -hmm. we, we are actually also in uh, one of the key things that I want to share is that we're disrupting, disrupting the economics of teacher preparation. Mm -hmm. Simply by providing a lot of the teacher preparation work, we say to our candidates, keep your regular job. Give us 12 months, it's gonna be intensive. It's gonna be really, really hard. You might not get the laundry done. You might eat out of paper plates, right? But at the end of 12 months, we will have you ready to be hired in Boston and we'll actually coach you and support you through the hiring process. Okay, how does someone find out? Okay, so we're talking about bachelor's degree and does it have to be in a particular topic or a subject or because I know in order for you to be a cop or a lawyer actually let's take a lawyer in order for you to be a lawyer you don't necessarily have to take criminal justice you can take English history or whatever right and then you can go in and you can do what it takes to be yes. in law school do you have to have a certain major in order for you to be uh, in this program and become a teacher uh, ideally it we, we would love to have all of our candidates have um, uh, a bachelor's in education mm -hmm. or early childhood education. Those are like our, and those are a fewer uh, number of our candidates come with that experience. Mm -hmm. Many of our candidates actually uh, are paraprofessionals who are in the classroom, who have been in the classroom, but who've been denied access to becoming full-time teachers. Many of them have been paras with, with bachelors. And most of our folks of color, especially uh, black candidates, come out of the, our para educator pool and we're very excited to have them and we recruit them. Our numbers run around 80% plus of paraeducators who are in our teacher preparation program. And what we're learning in this space is that our candidates are looking for an affordable, accessible option pathway that is culturally responsive and, and culturally affirming uh, to them as they begin the next stage of their careers in Boston. And we're happy to provide that. We, we center uh, racial justice, we center racial literacy, we, we interrogate anti-black racism, uh, we, we interrogate linguistic biases, and we, we, we try to do the kind of work that many of our white institutions that, are, uh, that prepare candidates for education are not doing. So, so before... <laughs> So many questions in so little time. Um, I, you have a recruitment effort going on. You said you need 125 candidates. Okay, so let me let me yes. So let me let me let me yes yes. I'm glad you remember. Uh, thank you so much. So so what we're trying to do? We did some modeling. We did some analysis. In order for us to hit the 
to really, and for us in, in the recruitment cultivation office, um, recruitment cultivation and diversity office, uh, which my program sits, uh, the BPS teacher pipeline programs, uh, the 25% black educators in the teacher workforce or, in the uh, or as counselors, um, that 25% has always been the floor for us, not the ceiling, the floor. Um, and we've actually engaged in, in uh, community roundtables, equity roundtables, and with stakeholders like yourself and others uh, to really say to, to, to our stakeholders that we are really committed to doing something about um, the diversification of, of the teaching workforce and counselors. Um, having said that, the recruitment effort, we did some modeling in order for us and one of my good friends actually did uh, uh, helped us with some of this thinking. Um, if we can bring in about 125, of which 45 are bilingual educators, and I want to talk a little bit more about this bilingual educator initiative that we have going as well. 45 are bilingual educators, and 80 are early through secondary educators, and so, and our numbers of black educators and Latinx educators hovers around 75 to 80%, right? If, if we can bring that to the hiring pool, bring that to BPS during the hiring season, put uh, that kind of uh, numbers in front of our school leaders and our hiring committees, and then we can mitigate for the, the attrition issues that we see with black educators especially, um, we can uh, do some significant work to increase the percentages of black educators in Boston. So 25% is actually reachable mm -hmm. if, if we can hold for the, candidates, the teachers that we have mm -hmm. and provide them, um, many of our uh, uh, educators of color still need to complete their licensing schedules. They need to go through their MTELs, right? Uh, if, we can, if we can provide them with an option, and we have a team uh, in our office that actually focuses, uh, it's called the MTEL prep support team, that focuses on both candidates who we're bringing into the through the pipeline, mm -hmm. but also educators who are in the classroom. If we can continue to cultivate um, the preparation of teachers and licensure of teachers, and then we can mitigate some of the issues that result in teachers leaving the system, for example, uh, being in very, very difficult uh, uh, schools. I've been teaching in Boston Public Schools for 25 uh, years. This is my 27th year in the, uh, in the district. Um, and also provide them a robust professional development pathway and leadership pathways. And if we can sort of control the attrition issues and increase the, the pipeline and scale our programming, uh, I, think, I think we're going to see some really, really exciting results that have never been reached in the last 30 years in Boston, as, as you were uh, describing. Oh, yeah. I, I, oh, yeah. So I grew up in Boston. <clears throat> I attended Boston Public Schools. My daughter attended Boston Public Schools. She graduated from Boston Public Schools. I actually left in the fifth grade to attend Beaver Country Day School. Um, my father was one of the... Um, founders of Operation Exodus, which became METCO. Okay. So I've been doing this for quite some time. Um, I, I want to take a break for a minute, and I want to come back and actually go over the specifics. When you and I talked about this program, mm -hmm. we really, I really, we really wanted to 
to show people there is a program that can bring you into the system and as you said raise their income mm -hmm. directly impact the achievement gap and education equity mm -hmm. and actually help your family out and give you some time right now as an educator and i've taught middle school high school and college I had less time as a college faculty member. I mean, they, you know, you don't get the breaks. You don't get the time off. You're, you get a two week, mm -hmm. maybe, and then the universities want your time all the time. It's like you right. sign your life away. <laughs> and so, um, you know, in the charter schools, for three years, you were allowed a three year grace period before you actually had to have your licensure. Mm -hmm. So when we come back from the break, I want to talk about the difference, because I, I think, this is just me talking. I think there should be a reverse of the teachers that are going into the charter schools to actually be a BPS because we've got these teachers, mostly white. <clears throat> That's right, I said it. You've got these teachers teaching our children that don't know about our culture, don't know about our communities, are afraid of our kids, mm. and who are part of the problem. I mean, they don't have bad hearts or anything. It's not like they mean to be that. Although there are some teachers in some states and some places that should never be near anybody's kids. We're not talking about them right now. But I think because this past year, we lost over 5,000 students and that's mm. where they went. Mm. But they actually went to a place that doesn't statistically, can't statistically show that they're as successful as the perception that people have of charter mm. schools. That's right, I said it. Go BPS. We're gonna take a break. This is more information that you need to be up on, on another level. It's happening now. It's happening this week. You need to be woke. And if you're not woke, wake up and take some notes. I'm gonna take a break. We'll be right back on another level. STEM is the discipline of hard numbers. Precise, no margin for error. Dare to forget that. Dare to have fun with it. Get weird with it. Dare to get messy or just mess it up. Dare to program something internet breaking record-breaking. Dare to blow their minds. Dare to try. Dare to fail. Dare to keep daring. Science! Dare to learn the difference between organic, sedimentary, and non-foliated metamorphic rock. Get outside. Find those rocks. Dare to be homeroom famous, a high school fable. Dare to send those old STEM theories flying past the neighbor's house into outer space. And for the love of STEM, dare bigger. Dare to code, dare to invent, dare to explore, dare to STEM. Check out She Can STEM to get started. Boston is the only municipality in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts with an appointed, not elected, school committee. Our citywide coalition has submitted a non-binding ballot question for the November election to begin the process to change this. Many Bostonians have no idea how and when we lost the right to elect our school committee, and some have strongly held beliefs based on an incomplete story that omits the struggle for black and brown representation on the Boston School Committee. In this city, when you say the words Boston School Committee, it won't be long before someone says Louise Day Hicks. 
Hicks was the villain of the school committee in the 1960s, openly opposing efforts to desegregate Boston public schools. Many believe that Hicks is the reason we now have an appointed school board. But she left the school committee in 1969, 22 years before the elected school committee was abolished. When we focus on the most openly racist politician this city has ever known, we erase a remarkable story of the struggle for black political power and equal access to education in Boston. The black struggle for political power on the Boston School Committee began long before Judge Garrity's ruling to desegregate Boston public schools in 1974. Leaders in the black community, some of them parents in the district, ran for the Boston School Committee to try to provide equal access to education for black children. Ruth Batson, Mel King, John D. O'Brien, among others, ran for school committee again and again, but could not win in an at-large election system that favored the predominantly white voting bloc. It wasn't until 1977 that John D. O'Brien won a seat on the Boston School Committee, becoming the first black politician to serve on the board since 1900. This was the result of two decades of organizing and voter registration to empower the black community. In 1981, Dr. Jean McGuire became the first black woman elected to the at-large Boston School Committee. In that same election cycle, a ballot question passed that changed the Boston School Committee from five members elected at-large citywide to nine elected by district and four at-large. This was a huge win for black and brown voters because it meant they could be represented without winning a citywide majority. In the 1983 election, the first with the new district structure in place, three blacks and one Afro-Latina were voted onto the board. This Boston School Committee went on to select Laval Wilson, the first black superintendent of Boston Public Schools but trouble was already brewing for the newly formulated school committee. Mayor Flynn was under pressure from powerful business groups to dissolve the elected school committee. In 1989, Mayor Flynn placed a question on the ballot to abolish the elected school committee and replace it with a seven-member board appointed by the mayor. Communities of color opposed this. So did the low-income whites of South Boston. But with hundreds of thousands of dollars in corporate money behind it, Flynn's proposal won by a razor-thin margin of 1.5%. Despite opposition from the black members of the Boston City Council and the Black Legislative Caucus, a home rule petition passed in the city and then in the State House. And on July 6, 1991, Governor Bill Weld signed the home rule petition that abolished the elected Boston School Committee. In 1993, as Mayor Flynn left Boston to become the ambassador to the Vatican, he had a change of heart. In a letter written to the candidates hoping to replace him, he wrote, despite the accomplishments of the appointed board, I feel compelled to acknowledge that the loss of the vote for school committee members has remained a bone in the throat of many Bostonians. 
The appointed board has done what it had to do. It has accomplished a clean break with the past. Within Boston, where entrenched white parents felt like they were on the losing end of desegregation and then had to contend with a diverse elected school committee, it's no surprise that this painful era ended with the disenfranchisement of the black community, who had finally found an entry point into Boston's political power structure via the Boston School Committee. But times have changed. Residents and leaders across the city are banding together to bring democracy back to school governance, just like every other city and town in Massachusetts. So that ballot passed overwhelmingly. Welcome back. I like coming back on a win. This is On Another Level. I'm your host, Sharon Henson. And um, 99,000 plus voters last election, November, voted to return to an elected versus appointed school committee, but it's not over. Um, this week and in the coming weeks, there will be city council hearings, Boston school committee meetings, talking about this very same thing. And guess what? That was a non-binding referendum, which meant it just basically went to test the waters of how people felt there were voters. And there was only a 30% turnout of voters. That's another whole show, another whole conversation. But you've got to show up. Unfortunately, a lot of these hearings are scheduled when, guess what, you're at work or you're at school. You still look at the recordings. It's on a public broadcast channel, and there's no reason for you not to find out whether you have a parent, whether you have a child and you're a parent of a Boston Public School student or not. You're talking about training the next people that are taking over all of these other jobs. For me, it's a matter of democracy. We should have the vote. Boston is the only place that does not have an elected school committee. And we were the first elected school committee in the country. It doesn't make sense. You're, if you're a homeowner, your money is paying for education. The education budget in Boston has the largest percentage of the city dollars. If you're a homeowner and you're a parent and your child's in the school and you're not satisfied, you need to show up at the school committee meetings, which, which were at, at night. On Tuesday are the city council meetings. Wednesday, every other Wednesday, are the school committee meetings. And then tomorrow morning, because mind you, this show is live, the hearing for the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education to determine if the state is going to take over the Boston Public Schools is happening tomorrow morning. I know it's a lot. It's a lot to have a regular job in the third highest uh, uh, city to live in, in the country, trying to keep a roof over your head. I get it, but if you don't do this, if you don't do this, you're still paying for it and you're not getting what you're paying for. Now, let's get back to my guest. He is making a change in the educational sphere in the Boston public school system. He's been educated for over 27 years. He doesn't look that, he doesn't even look like he's that old, but you know, black don't crack. So <laughs> let's crack this issue about teachers of color and also teachers of color who speak other languages, because those mm -hmm. are two different things, mm -hmm. and other ethnicities. I know Hyde Park has the highest percentage of immigrants in the city of Boston. Mm -hmm. And so when I go to the school committee um, meetings, there's at least nine languages, I believe, nine mm -hmm. main languages that are sure. being translated in. So a lot of people, if you live in certain areas of Boston, like Brighton has a lot of Russians, mm -hmm. um, 
the, you know, certain parts of Dorchester, there's a lot of Somalis, and the yeah. Chinatown is not just, there's a lot of uh, Chinese or Asians, I want you to say Chinese because it's Vietnamese, Laotian, um, Chinese, and there's Mandarin and Cantonese and Chinese. So there's a lot of different languages that as a teacher, I remember going into the classroom and um, at Madison Park when I was teaching telev television production, there were students that were sitting next to students mm -hmm. and um, translating. Mm -hmm. And I said to the other instructor, how do I know that that student's getting it enough to be able to correctly translate it? Mm -hmm. So now we have modern technology, thanks to Zoom and a lot of different things, where you literally can translate into another language. But I speak to other languages, so I hear the translations, but they're not, they're not always accurate. And that's when a person understands what's going on. Tell me the need that we have for teachers who speak other languages, who are from other color, cu cultures, in addition to black teachers. Oh, we have a huge need. Just uh, some quick numbers in Boston, uh, the student population and, and the cultures and countries that are represented. There are over 135 countries represented wow. in the Boston public schools. 70 different languages are spoken in the Boston public schools. 45% of our student population uh, English is not their first language. And so there's a need for bilingual educators it, for, across all of our programs, whether it's the heritage language programs, the dual language programs, the SCI classroom, the ESL classrooms. There's a high need for high quality uh, dual language educators who are proficient in both languages. And one of the things that we piloted last year was uh, to uh, prepare two bilingual educators um, this year we've scaled up to 12, mm -hmm. and next year it's that number 45 of uh, bilingual educators. And I think we can begin to make a dent in populating our bilingual programs with educators of color who are uh, bilingual as well and who speak in the language that our students um, uh, home language or stu or we in our program we talk about translanguaging and this is really really important it's the, it's the sort of the next phase of multilingual education in this country where educators have to be proficient in the home languages and uh, of our students and have students actually communicate in both languages in the classroom whether they're taking a test they're defending, they're debating, that they should be, and they're writing essays. And translanguaging is this model that we, that we use in our teacher preparation program where a young person can decide if they want to present their uh, speech in Spanish or Haitian Creole whoa, whoa, or Capo whoa, whoa, Verde whoa. That's deep. and English. That's deep. Right? And the other thing that a lot of people don't realize, I realize as a teacher, too many times educators who only speak English have to rely on the student to communicate with the parents. Mm -hmm. And so here you have a child that you're trying to relate to, and there's a power dynamic in a lot of different cultures too, right. when you're trying to get to the parent and understand, well, you need to sign here, you need to just basic kinds of operational things that adults who are over 18, because you can still have a kid, and I, had, I was a high school teacher, so I had kids who were having kids in class. So there's that dynamic, but I remember some of my, a couple of my kids they were in the school, but it seemed like they had disappeared because they were in other classes that were teaching basically in Spanish, but because I was a B block and I was doing attendance, I didn't see the kids. And so it's like, how am I losing a kid that's, that's supposedly here, but, I, but they're not in my classroom? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, understanding that there are some words that just don't translate. They right. don't, and you have right. to speak in that language. Mm -hmm. um, there's some words that don't exist right. in other languages. And so 
you know, if we continue, and I say we Americans, if we continue to go in this Anglo, uh, huh, you know, this, this xenophobic kind of, oh, you have to, you have to, I've heard people say speak American, there's no such thing. If you speak English, you, you can only speak English. We're, we're losing out on a, a huge um, genius, a huge right. group of geniuses. There are people that I know who are, who are cab drivers, who are doctors in another country. Right who are doing, you know, Uber deliverers, who are engineers in other countries right. because America doesn't accept those degrees. And in a lot of cases, those schools were actually better schools than when they came here. Right. And to that point, we have a number of candidates who come from those kinds of experiences in those communities. And, and we say to them, can we see your transcript? Can we read it in English? If it's a bachelor's, it's a bachelor's and you're in our program. So all you need to be part of our pre-service teacher preparation program is to have a bachelor's degree from anywhere in the world. Say that again. A bachelor's a degree. From anywhere in the world, right? And we, uh, our team looks over all the transcripts and we vet it. But I got a call, it, precisely, it's so interesting that you, you describe a candidate like that. Um, I got a call, uh, an email from a cab driver in Boston who's actually a chemical engineer and said, can I participate in this program? And I said, yes, send your transcripts. Uh, we'll review it and then we'll and also apply. We have an amazing team uh, that we, and we work together to review every application mm -hmm. and we, we find out all the talents and, and, the, and everything that, um, and our application is, uh, <laughs> uh, thank you. Uh, I, I get so caught up. Um, but our application deadline is June 1st. All you need is a bachelor's degree. Where do they go to apply? Uh, right, uh, there's a link in that flyer, but you can also go to Talent Ed and the Boston uh, Public Schools website. Um, and we're, we're trying to make, make, make a difference. And the other thing that I want to talk about is the fact that our teachers of teachers are Boston public school teachers. Mm. And, and this year we've moved into a co-mentorship model mm -hmm. and we have a high percentage of our educators who are of color educating and preparing our candidates. And this is something that no other program can, can boast of, that you have, especially the uh, college-based, uh, university-based programs, don't have educators who are working in the district preparing their future colleagues. Mm. So you're getting a, a teacher preparation program from amazing veteran professional educators who are right now, they'll, they'll do their, they'll do their uh, classroom uh, uh, work and weeknights and on weekends, they're helping to prepare our candidates. And, now that's, and that's part to the retention. That, that talks to the retention piece too. Yes. Talk about the culture of this particular program mm -hmm. and how you're preparing people to be more effective because first off, it, <laughs> I think teaching is a divine calling, not just mm -hmm. because I am a teacher, because I actually went to school for something else in the beginning. but. Um, they're just like everybody that has a doctorate shouldn't be a doctor. Right. Everybody that has a teaching degree shouldn't necessarily be a teacher. That's mm -hmm. an anointed position to me because mm -hmm. we are the reason there are other professions. We have right. to give them the foundation to become an engineer, a doctor, a lawyer, a carpenter. If you don't know math and measurement, it's not going to fit. It's not going to work. So I think that, um, the, but retaining people, especially in this high uh, pressurized environment. I hear teachers talking about how they're dependent on and, and to be more than just a teacher because of all the data that's needed, because of all the research, all the, um, 
all the positions that you have to fill. You're not just a teacher. Sometimes you're a surrogate parent. Sometimes you're a big sister and auntie. Sometimes kids will come to you because they trust you right. and tell you things that they don't trust people within their families. Mm -hmm. And so you, you know, that's social emotional, and we don't even have time to talk about them. We've got about 10 right. more minutes. Okay. When you're talking about the social emotional learning, I mean, I have, <laughs> I've been teaching so long, my students have kids. Like my kids have kids, but they're no longer kids. Yeah. Um, and if you have that connection, you can hear so many people that talk about my third grade teacher did this, my fifth grade teacher, my high school teacher, mm -hmm. my college professor spoke into their life in that moment and changed the whole trajectory and literally saved somebody's life mm -hmm. who ended up being somebody's mother, somebody's father, somebody's right. grandfather. Talk about the atmosphere and the support system that you have in this program. The culture of our program is, is one of the key pieces that we're learning more about and mm -hmm. ideating on and, and, and refining and developing. But as I said, you know, we have BPS teachers, veteran mm -hmm. BPS teachers, and we have the highest percentage of educators of color in uh, the space of preparing future teachers for Boston. Okay, thank you, Katie. Um, and that's one piece. But for us, what we're learning more and more is that many of our educators of color have gone through predominantly white institutions where they've been disenfranchised. And that, that's a and nice that, way to put it. And that legacy. <laughs> and look at this piece here. Yeah. This is what you're looking for. Um, yes, we're looking for, um, this is, that's for the, is that for the that's demo for the day? That's for the demo day. That's for the demo day. Uh, but we're looking for anyone who's passionate, as you said, who th sees teaching as a calling, who has their bachelor's degree, and who's passionate. One of, uh, we also have a, a, a middle school through college pipeline, mm. where we start as early as middle school. My, my colleague, uh, Ms. Winces Raphael, runs that wait, program. Wait, wait, wait. His colleague, my former student at Northeastern, <laughs> Wences, she was also one of my legacy mentors. Is that she right? She was a super, yes. Amazing. Wences There's was an a amazing star community. Back then. And just a quick data point that I want to share that I'm super excited about, about Wences's and her team's achievement. Um, for every two colleges that our cadets applied to, our cadet seniors, they got into one. Look at that. Isn't that amazing? And they were supported and mentored by our college cadets who had already gone through that college process the year before, or two years before, and they were mentoring our high school seniors. I'm so excited about Winces and, and her achievements and that culture and that community. Um, in the teacher uh, pipeline programs, especially in the pre-service space, what we're learning is that our candidates need, even, even our career changers, mm -hmm who've been away from school for a long time. We have a significant number of our candidates who are career changers. And these are people that are adults, adults. who decided, I don't want to do this anymore, but I know enough about this so that I can be a teacher and, and help somebody else out, right? Yes, and I'll, I'll, even take, I'll even go further. One of them who graduated from our program last year was a college professor. Another one is actually this year is also a college professor. The, the one who graduated last year and is now teaching in the Boston Public Schools left private university because it was becoming too corporate. Yeah, right? I can attest to and, that. <laughs> and wanted, wanted to have an educational experience with students where the impact was real and tangible and every day, right? And, and we have ed amazing educators who support our candidates. So one of the key things that we, that we look at very, very closely is that every candidate, we tell them, it's a marathon, it's not a sprint. If you get in um, and you don't finish after 12 months, we will stay with you until you finish. Oh, okay. 
Okay. Once, you, once you're in, you're in all the way through. But there's other incentives yes. in terms of the professional development. Yes. See, because I so, talked to him, so I know. So, so I'm just trying to bring so this up. So the other one is that once you finish our pre-service program mm -hmm. in your first year as, as teachers, mm -hmm. we provide you over-the-shoulder coaching, uh, support in the classroom to get your secondary license in Modern Disability ESL and um, uh, Modern Disability ESL and Early Childhood. Let's and talk about good, Demo Day. And, and my good colleague, I just want to shout out, I have, uh, there's a lot of people that I want to shout out. My, my good friend and colleague, Ailish Kiernan, mm -hmm. supports our first year teachers. When you get hired into Boston Public Schools, mm -hmm. we also give, uh, we, we have a $1,000 signing bonus. <laughs> Um, just to help you with your transition or just to help you buy materials for your classroom. But my colleague Ailish spends a lot of time onboarding our candidates and even going into their classrooms. We have this amazing party at the beginning of the year when they start uh, and our team prepares like materials for them, erasers, um, marker boards, uh, chalk, all sorts of materials that they need. Uh, to start there. So their you're year. not just thrown to the no. wolves. No, actually, we're modeling. Can we can we show the, the well because we've got like three minutes. Seriously, okay. can we show the the uh, demo day that's coming up and talk a little bit about that? Yes. There we go. So the demo day is actually this is really exciting. All uh, about 300 candidates from all different programs, university programs, uh, residency programs, our program are all coming and doing demo lesson preparation mm. for school leaders and hiring committees mm. to show, essentially, it's going to be an opportunity for school-based folks to see who is coming out of our uh, programs. And, mm -hmm. and they're coming from all part. We have about 300. So demo day is going to be really exciting for us. It's on April 9th. But I want to emphasize the, the, this application process for June 1st. Okay. That's our deadline. Mm -hmm. All you need is a bachelor's degree. You can keep your current job mm -hmm. and just uh, 12 months. So you go to school on the weekends? You go to school on Saturdays and on weeknights. Okay. And it's all on Zoom. Okay. You don't have to uh, drive around this How many city. hours on Saturday? Saturdays, it can run from uh, three hours to five hours. Oh, okay. Yeah, with a one-hour lunch break in between. Okay. Do you, and you don't provide lunch because they're at we home. We don't. Yeah, everybody's at home. And we have new mothers... Um, new families, um, folks who are uh, on their uh, Saturday break, people who are zooming in from their jobs because they, they've worked out a certain situation with their, with their um, employers, security guards who are behind a desk, taking a teacher preparation program. So hold on, we have a minute. And see, and I knew that was going to happen. Is there a phone number that people can call? Sure. Um, don't worry about yeah. it. We'll get it. So <laughs> one last thing to wrap yes. up to, to, yeah. to really encourage people to let people know, even yeah. if they're not the ones that they think they can do, they have to, what's the website they should go to? Uh, they can go to uh, teachboston.org. On that flyer is the uh, email, diversity-act at bostonpublicschools.org. Um, Dr. Abdi Ali, yes. we got to go. Okay, we got to go. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That see, it goes by so so quickly. Thank you so much for being here. It's an honor. And thank, thank you, so, you much. so much for being here. Remember, register to vote. Show up at the meetings, Boston School Committee, City Council, voting, and then show up at the schools and be engaged, be involved, bring it to another level. Thank you for being here with us. Thank my wonderful guest, Dr. Abdi Ali. See you later.